Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. One of the funny things about James Cameron is if you watched Entourage, there was like one of the big running jokes was that they were filming Aquaman with James Cameron directing. And now they're actually filming Entourage, which I find with with Cal Drogo as as Aquaman. So which I find hilarious because if there was ever a superhero movie that just seemed like the absolute wrong movie for the big screen, Aquaman was it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because a water movies or like movies that take place on the o- ocean in just have this horrific ro- uh, reputation of going horribly over budget like water world like water world like uh, Titanic um, like well, uh, I don't think I think Titanic is a success story mate. <laughs> no but it was a huge risk because it went a hundred million dollars over budget um, oh yeah, it was, I mean, it everyone was, thought it was an, an impending disaster, and it, yeah, and it, I mean, it there wound were so up many t- jokes perfect. about how it was going to crash like the Titanic. Yeah, I mean, but you know why? But you know why? But you know why it succeeded though, when nobody thought it would, is it because nobody counted on the young teen girl audience that wanted to come see Leonardo DiCaprio, and mm. that and carried with Kate the Winslet. day. Yeah, yeah, it did. So if they would have, well, if they would have made that. Uh, the older women that also, you know, did the did the PG thirteen rating help that then? Because I remember like I was oh, seventh yeah. grade and all the girls went to see it. Yeah, like, no, completely. Rated, I mean, that was rated Cameron, R, but it sunk. 
Cameron was was intent on making a PG thirteen movie that that he basically he wanted to make a movie that everyone in the world could go see, yeah. and he did. Yeah, and and that's our James Cameron discussion by Cavs the Blog. <laughs> <laughs> did I ever, EG? Did I ever tell you my um, cousin who I'm on vacation with teaches film at RIT? No. Yeah. Oh. So I was showing him your IMDb last night. Um, did, you know, he, anyway, did he laugh, did he laugh derisively? No, they were trying <laughs> to figure out um, the fog. Like He and my dad were trying to figure out if there was more than one remake of that. No, uh, and there never should be. That was probably the worst movie I've ever worked on. Oh, really? Right. <laughs> But it was a movie I learned. It's the movie I learned the most on. I don't think either of them had seen the the one you worked on. They were both trying to recall like an older one. Not many people saw the one I worked on, but enough people did to make it profitable. But that's the problem. Like it, it, you know, you you oftentimes learn the most from your failures. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, is that a good enough segue? Yeah, that's a perfect segue. Have the Cavs learned anything from their failures these first two games? Well, I was shocked that... Um, According to Ron Lou, they're all pissed off, so I guess Well, I'm glad they're pissed maybe. off. They weren't pissed off yesterday. Yeah. I just think they got overwhelmed. I mean, I know you're, Nate, I know you're focused on, like, their heart and their effort. I just think they don't believe they can beat the Warriors, and, and they were trying. you can win, you've already lost. <sighs> oh, yeah. And I think the Warriors don't even take the Cavs seriously. They're not playing the Cavs, they're just... They're just playing against themselves, really, at this point. Because everything's just too easy. Well, I, I would agree with that. Did you see the stat about of the 80-some shots the Cavs or the Warriors took that game? Over 40 of them were with no Cavs here within four feet of them? Yeah, and I don't know. Like That has become the Vogue stat over the last three months has been Sport view contested versus uncontested. We saw it with J.R. Smith. They were talking about his contested versus uncontested percentages. Um, it crapped up in the Toronto series. It's crapped up again. I just I don't know how useful it is, um, especially over a game, because what does that really mean? I mean, it's just a distance metric. Is it like the fingertips of the other player? I'm assuming it's the foot placement. So if a guy is four feet away. If his feet are four feet away, these guys have nine foot wingspans. You can still be contesting the shot when you're four feet away, or you can be running at a person, or someone could have done well, like a crazy step. I, I will step say there was many times no one was running at a. Uh, I understand. I'm, I'm just saying I don't. I don't know how useful that is. Like over a game, I don't know. I'm just. I'm just not sure. I totally buy how valuable that contested uncontested within so many feet is so far but i digress i do agree that the Cavs uh defense in both games you could you watch them they're switching everything and they're trapping curry and they're keeping two guys on the perimeter at all times and they're they're actually bumping him a bit and and, and making him feel them if you will when he runs around the the court and they don't care it, Fine, he'll score 15 points or he'll score 20 points or he'll score 25 because he hits a couple threes in garbage time. They don't care. They're blowing out the Cavs. And more than that, the Cavs just can't score. I mean, at this point, the Splash Brothers could just 
sit back and grab a bunch of popcorn and watch the rest of the series. If the Cavs can't score 80 points, they don't even need the Splash Brothers. Well, right? yeah. I, I'll agree. Well, with they'll you. need it. They'll probably need him in Game Three and Four because that's where the stars will need to step up for them. Because you know, so you, we all know. I mean, bench players, bench players always play better at home, and stars have to play big on the road. So I imagine they probably, you know, I mean, look, Steve Kerr, I believe, has played. He's really played a smart series, and he knew what the Cavs were going to do in terms of trying to take away Clay and, and Steph. And so he, you know, he, he worked the matchups on the, you know, on the, on the bench guys. And, and then, you know, of course, Draymond took over in game two. So they didn't need those guys. They just, they relied on, on their, you know, their strength and numbers uh, philosophy. And so I want to ask you a question, EG, because I, I think I sort of already know what, how Nate will answer it. Um, when I when I watch these first two games, the Cavs are just they're not even remotely on the same level as the Warriors. And so my question is, is that really accurate? Like they're thirty points worse when the Splash Brothers aren't even really a factor, or is there sort of a snowball effect going on where, um, you know, kind of one thing is affecting them and then it kind of creates this chain reaction where nothing goes right. And so for the offensive end, like for the Warriors, they start building up confidence. And before you know it, Draymond Green is hitting off-balance contested 17-footers. And it's like, I've never even seen him take that shot before. And he's like, are they almost at the point now where just everything is going right and – they're not really this much better than the so Cavs, or question, Tom? I think it's. Yeah. I think it's. It's probably a. As with, as with most things, it's probably a combination of the two. It's. It's. They're definitely a more athletic and longer team. Not necessarily in the center position. Well, I guess in the center position now that Moskov doesn't play and Channing Fry barely plays. Um, you know the. The, yeah, they're just they're 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 definitely more athletic and a longer and just more hustling team than the Cavs are. But they've been that team all year, um, and that makes it harder when you do have things that start to go wrong and snowball. You know, look, the Cavs played in, in look they were right there in game one. They took the lead with what two minutes, two and a half minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah, they traded it a couple of times. Uh, and then they just, you know, they just fell apart in the fourth, mainly because of one decision that that or a sequence of decisions that, that Tyron Lue made to play LeBron the entire third quarter and then have to give him a blow or a sit down to start it and started the fourth quarter with Kyrie and the bench players, which has never worked, I think, ever this season. Um, and that's that was the difference that went from a. You know, a, what a six-point lead at the end of three to a pretty quickly like a 15, 16-point lead, and it was over. And then, you know, they they played a really good they played a really good first quarter in game two. Uh, I mean, they missed some they missed some shots, and they got a bunch of shots blocked by Bogut, and but they, they still, still managed to be, right there. They were up to yeah, they were up twenty-one nineteen, and then. Then Again, the like the, this sort of wheels came off because they stopped running the offense and they had a couple of bad 
things go that go you know golden state's way and then it snowballed you know and then they kind of righted it towards the end of the half and we're lucky to only be down eight instead of you know 12 or 14 like it like it looked like it was going to be but then they just come out flat in the third quarter and that was again that was that was that you can't make mistakes against yeah this team and you kind of and speak that's, to the point well, that's I what think, surprised sorry. me about that's what surprised me about Oklahoma City was that I kept expecting Oklahoma City to beat themselves earlier on in that series. And they showed a lot of grit and determination, and they really – they had the, the kind of length that bothered <clears throat> Golden State. I mean, yeah, and then they beat themselves. I mean, front line of, of, of Stephen Adams, Serge Ibaka, Kevin Durant, you know, all guys that are, you know, six, what, 6 to 11 and, and above with really long arms – Plus, you got Russ and defending the backcourt. Like that's that's significant, and you know, cats just don't don't have that length. They just don't. I mean, I, well, you know, when you start, they're certainly not playing that length. If they if they yeah. do, I mean, I, but they're so not. I, the length I think you did a really good job. Sorry, I sorry. Repeat that. I'm just saying they're they're not playing the length, and they're all, but they're also not. They're not. On the other side, they're so tentative in terms right. of shooting the ball. So it, it's kind of a snowball well, effect. Part of it's no one's open. Oh, Tom. Anyway, okay. So let me <laughs> let me. Uh, well, what's your what's your rationale for why they're not shooting? Let me respond to EG, who I think gave a really good illustration of how when the Cavs competed and they were right there with the Warriors and when they failed to compete and you know kind of mentally checked out they were getting the doors blown off them Um, you know you got the fourth quarter in game one and then you know from the third quarter on in game two and then that big stretch uh, in the second quarter I'm just baffled at how many people you Tom included uh, are just think that the Warriors are this much better than the Cavs and part of it is when the Cavs play at their best let me rephrase that and part of it is what I see you ever watch Catch Me If You Can where uh, Tom Hanks talks about um, part of the reason the Yankees win is people they've already people get hung up on the pinstripes they see those pinstripes yeah they get distracted and they get distracted and the Yankees have already won, you know, and and that's what I feel like is going on. Is that is that quote from that movie? I think so. I don't. I, I remember that movie, and I remember that quote. I just don't remember him saying it in that movie. Because the other teams can't. St- not him. It was. Uh, Are you sure this isn't like something from Ocean's Eleven? Walking. Yeah. It was Christopher Walken, and he goes. You know why the Yankees... Here you go. I'm going to do my uh, best Christopher Walken impersonation. You know why the Yankees always win, Frank. That's terrible. Because uh, they have Mickey Mantle. No, it's because the other team can't stop staring at those damn pinstripes. That oh, was, yeah. That I do remember that. Terrible. Yep. That was a, that was no, that was pretty good. I really? do remember that. <laughs> yeah, and I do, I do remember that. Now, that's a great movie, by the way. Yeah, and... I, 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 feel I do like remember that's that so scene. Much of what's going yes, on here. it is in Catch Me If You Can. I'm reading it now. Yeah, well, uh, Frank, Frank Abagnale Sr. said it. Yeah. yeah. 
so. And that was, yes. that was my Christopher Walken, which was really cool. Yeah, so, Nate, I think that's just wishful, defiant thinking. I, I really and don't think. Thing, Tom. If you don't have <laughs> wishful, defiant thinking and you are the Cavs coaches and players, you can't win. It's over. You've already lost. Well, I mean, yeah, but and, you're and, not a Cavs player or coach. Well, I feel like they feel the same way. I, well, I, say, I am somewhere in between, though, because Nate, because as much as I illustrated where they were competing, I also feel like, I mean, Golden State, as much as I like to hate on them all year, like they, they've proven how deep they are. They've proven how resilient they are. I mean, it's really hard when guys like Draymond and Spates can hit threes like it's nothing. Granted, they're not always they're not always covered when they're hitting these, but you know, they 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 have this they they have they have athleticism they have length I am just, they have just they say, have role players that are playing that are playing what they're the to, up to their ability versus the Cavs role players who are either not playing up to their ability or not being used enough to to get an opportunity to play up to their ability, i.e. Fry, Delhi, even Shumpert doesn't feel like he's being used like he was last year at all, despite JR being a kind of a dumpster fire in the finals again. For the second year in a row. And and I will just say that I'm very glad that Tom Pestak and Tyron Lue were not running the defense for the British Isles in World War II because we'd all be speaking German right now with the attitudes that they have. <laughs> because it's ridiculous. You, If you don't think you can win and you've already given up before you go on the court or step in the blog podcast booth, you've already lost. <laughs> okay, here's where I'm going to take what you just said and, and, and defend myself a little bit. Um, we were pretty close to speaking German. And do you know what the British and the Americans and the French and the um, Russians did is they changed their tactics. They didn't keep on trotting out the same sorry uh, approach as they were getting completely run over. And so that meant they increased their industry. Um, they built up their arms. There was, an, there was arms races all over the world. And uh, they used a lot of intelligence, you know, winning the Pacific Theater uh, on on the attack on uh, um, the Battle of Midway was the turning point in the Pacific Theater. It's a it's a really great. You should read about the Battle of Midway. So is that, I, I is know that about the Battle is that of Midway. Midway? I, yeah. I I do feel bad. Oh, I've, uh, I've kind of raised this to the level of. Ridiculous. No, no, but what I'm saying is, if, if you took a, you know, if you were in 1941 and you were looking ahead to 1942, you should have been absolutely terrified of the Nazis. It doesn't mean you should lay down. It just means that's not your year. You're gonna have we, like. I think we need a history. I think we need a History Channel sponsorship, guys. You need to. Yeah, we do. You need to lick your wounds, and you need to. You need to retool. You need to reload. Um, and you need to start in Riley right now. Retool. So that's what that. This is why I asked you this question, E.G. Because there's two yeah. forks in the road here. There is the Cavs really aren't that much inferior to the Warriors, and there's an argument to be made for that. They're just kind of being overwhelmed, and there's the snowball effect, and there's a little bit of randomness, and 
come on, is, is Sean, I mean, Sean Livingston is 21 out of 25 field goals against the Cavs in two finals. Is that really legitimate or is that just a little bit fluky? And if you agree with that, then you say, come back next year. Uh, these guys will have played together a little more. They'll be a little bit more angry. They'll be a little bit tougher. They won't have the easy out that, well, we didn't have Kyrie and Kevin Love. They will have been embarrassed. Uh, they can dig deep and they can work with what they have. Or you can make the conclusion that they are getting their asses kicked. They are not even on the same level. They got embarrassed and they need to make some serious changes. And those changes would most likely involve Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving. Well, but here's here, the thing. Here's I my... don't, Tom, I don't, I don't think that would necessarily be the case if, if they hadn't come out the way they did in game two and play that way. I think, look, I, I think Golden State more than anything is really good at putting their opponent in positions that they don't want to be in. That's true. Right. And, and I, so it's not that it's not necessarily a, even superior athleticism or that, because if you just put these two teams, you know, in a gym where they, you know, essentially could let each other do whatever they, they wanted to on offense. Right. I mean, that's Sean Livingston's game is the mid range game. He's almost automatic with that jump shot. I mean, he was all, all throughout the playoffs. You, you have to take him out of that. You can't allow him that shot. And that's the problem is that I think the, the Cavs fundamental defensive approach it, it to is play his team twos. is flawed. Yeah, their fundamental defensive approach is concede long twos. Right. You know. But but that's that, – by the way, they're letting the guys who make long twos with regularity right, exactly. them, exactly. instead of taking it out of that personnel – those personnel's hands. If you've got – by the way, if you've got – if you've got um, – Harrison Barnes shooting long twos, that's a win. Like, he's not going to hit mo- ma- the majority right. of those. That's not his shot. But, you know, but if Sean Livingston is almost automatic. Yeah. So let, let me get this straight, Tom. Your yeah. rebuttal to me is wait till next year. In game, well, it seems like you're game saying... three of the finals, your rebuttal is, oh, this is already over. we got to redo I, I don't I hey. I mean I, I that may be a very legitimate um Well answer, I, I'm trying to figure out what hat you're wearing. Are you wearing your Cavs the blog hat or are you wearing your your Tyron <laughs> Loose speechwriter hat? Because I just want to talk to Cavs the blog Nate. I don't need to talk to the guy that's secretly motivating the team because you're not motivating the team. I don't think <laughs> they're gonna listen to this. <laughs> I, I So what is your opinion? My opinion is the Cavs. I mean, you keep saying things like, "Well, if we don't believe, then they're not. no." There's a there's a pretty <laughs> significant disconnect between what we think about the Cavs and what they think about themselves. And I honestly don't I, think you can affect sure how they think true. about themselves. I'm not sure that's true, Tom. So here's a question: If there was anyone in the Cavs organization that you would want to listen to our podcast, who would it be? My answer is Damon Jones. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mine's probably Mike Longabardi. Oh yes, that'd be a good one. The uh, podcast where you call for him to be, be fired because he's running that team anyway. So you want to hear some, you want to hear an interesting perspective though, and this is this goes back to something that I think as we actually Windhorse said uh, right before the or no it wasn't no it was it was actually I never watched first take but one morning it was on because my son had it on and this is actually something that Skip Bayless said and I hate Skip Bayless but. It, it, it's weirdly like been resonating in my brain just the last two days. 
And he said, when LeBron answered that question to Doris Burke after they beat Toronto, then he got emotional. And he said that line about, I'm just going to soak this in. I'm going to enjoy this one. And it, it, it skips at something about LeBron is only saying this because he is somewhere in the recesses of his brain. He doesn't believe this incarnation of this team can beat the Golden State Warriors. That's very possible. I really, I mean, I actually don't hate Skip Bayless, but I wouldn't really take any of his LeBron takes seriously. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't either. I'm just saying that's the thing, though, that, that for whatever reason, like, I, I just keeps like, you know, sometimes you have those 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 lines, like, like Nate had earlier with the Catch With You Can line, just sticks in your brain. And you're like, hey, I wonder if that's, I wonder if there's some, it does not, I mean, not that LeBron would ever admit that, but just if there's some kernel of truth to him realizing that this team. the way that they're playing, I think he believes that. Uh, From the way he he quit, flat out quit in the third quarter last night. But how, it's hard to keep playing when when you notice the guys around you aren't up to snuff. They're not playing at the level, or, or it's not the guys that, that you need on the floor to play up the stuff. I, I completely go against your coaching back all half the season. The entire problem last night was, or yeah, last night was LeBron. I mean, he he has not been good defensively, um, especially because he this whole playoffs he's been playing this free safety role and he's been moderately effective. And the Warriors are just too good for that. They <laughs> he keep was ex- effective. Against the Pistons, and he was yeah. effective against the Hawks, and he was effective against in the, the Raptors. When he was coming from 20 feet away to get these steals. Yeah, and they're exploiting. They're they're exploiting when he helps. And but that's not the problem, though. The problem <coughs> is LeBron's lazy closeouts and his lack of rebounding. And those are the two biggest issues. Uh, LeBron not boxing out, using poor form on rebounds, and these terrible closeouts that he um, is guilty of, and then no one else thinks they need to close out. And, and those are, yeah. I mean, those I are mean, like, very yeah. correctable issues that are not getting Look, correct. even in, even in that first quarter of game two, somehow Steph Curry got six rebounds in the first quarter, even right, though the Cavs exactly. were up 21-19. All right, so, exactly. Nate, you know how you, you brought up this great quote from a good movie about everyone's distracted by the pinstripes and so they don't focus on what's actually going on? We've spent almost this, whole, almost this whole podcast, and by me, I mean you two guys, talking about what the Cavs aren't doing defensively. I just want to point out to you that the Cavs are not running a grit squad lineup. They're playing heavy minutes to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, noted defensive sieves, and they can't crack 80 points when the Warriors turn the ball over 20 times. So we can, we can, we can be long in the tooth for the next five podcasts talking about defense, but at the end of the day, the biggest problem, you want to talk about problems, Nate, is what you've been railing about for a week now is that LeBron is not rolling to the rim. And it's part of a larger uh, abstract thought that we've all been talking about at Castle Block for this whole season. And that is as LeBron's jump shot has abandoned him to where he's not even comfortable taking open like 15 footers when right. teams sag off of him. He has to evolve his game. And right now the Warriors are so content to let him try to post up or try to, you know, face up or or do whatever he wants to do. And he's got to change the way he operates. 
I mean, it is egregious to me. We can talk all day long about how they can't defend the Warriors. They're too slow. They're not rebounding and yada, yada, yada. They, they couldn't even score 80 points. I, I, I playing... agree with you. I, I 100% agree with you on that. And to Ben's assertion, the Cavs' starting lineup choices uh, have been bad. Uh, putting in Tristan Thompson on the starting lineup with Andrew Bogut takes away any advantage that you might have uh, except a little bit on the offensive glass with Channing Fry pulling Bogut away from the basket. And what the Cavs should be doing is running pick and roll with LeBron as the roll man and three other shooters out on the corners in the wings facing the floor so that, A, the Warriors can't leave three players in the paint to defend against LeBron, uh, the guard, and Tristan Thompson, and B, you know, actually play a guy who's shooting an 80% effective field goal percentage in the playoffs. It, it, it is unconscionably, it's unconscionably bad coaching that Channing Fry has played nine minutes in this series. And if nothing else gets Ty Lue fired after the series, that should be it. It, 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 well, it not, is a, fired, not fired, just not a new deal, right? Because apparently he didn't sign a deal, right? So right. It, it is unconscionable, but sometimes I feel like that's not the silver bullet either. I mean, I think you could play Channing for 44 minutes. Yeah, but you still got to have your that's... gun. I, I agree. I agree. I'm just charging at you. <laughs> I agree, but it's not like he's our atomic bomb and we're just not using him to end the war. I mean, it's it's like. <laughs> It's also like not like the, their shooters are knocking down shots right now either. I think someone said it. I've read an article. Maybe McMenamin had, had mentioned mentioned it, but the Cavs are in their in their desire to try to look for a better shot are actually falling right into the the Golden State Warriors trap, which I, I is that. it is yeah it, well yeah, but it's not a, necessarily a self inflicted wound. It's they can't get open. And this is what I've been wanting to talk about. So this is this is going to be my little mini soapbox here. I will try to right. make it brief. When I watch these two teams play, and this is what I saw on Martin Luther King Day. So when I went sky is falling chicken little for the next month and a half, and everyone was like, God, I can't stand listening to this guy. Like, he has no hope. Like, just shut it down. It wasn't because they lost by like a million at home when they should have been very motivated to play well. It really wasn't the final score. It was the way, like, every moment of every possession, uh, what I, you know, what I would notice as far as spacing. And I don't mean spacing as far as, like, players spacing out. I mean as far as individuals being able to create space. The Warriors on offense create space. Every single guy on that team, before he cuts, will, like, grab his defender. It's very subtle. They don't get called for fouls. It's it's probably not even illegal. And they just kind of no, it's illegal. Jet, gently push them in the other direction. And then and then Steph Curry runs. And they, they couple a, that they do a lot of uh Reggie Miller getting free on the baseline moves. They all do it and they all are like a hive mind and that they know when it's coming and they know the exact right moment to throw the backdoor pass. And on the other side of this, I look at the Cavs, and one of our commenters said it best. It's almost like the Cavs are playing five on six. Like, what the Warriors are doing 
is they're baiting the calves that they switch everything. And the calves are like, well, if they're going to switch everything, we got to run enough like pick and rolls to get Harrison Barnes on LeBron or to get, uh, you know, Steph Curry guarding LeBron. And it takes the calves 18 seconds out of their 24 yeah. seconds to get to that point where they get that mismatch. And then they're like, okay, now we finally found Kevin Love posted up against, you know, the slightly smaller Clay Thompson. And then Kevin Love takes two dribbles, and then right as he's about to go to some move or counter move, Draymond Green runs over, smacks his hand down five times. If he doesn't strip the ball away or knock the ball out of bounds, it forces Kevin Love to pick up his dribble. And and that's the moment when the Cavs should be able to kick off a chain reaction where somebody is opened, and they just never can. The Warriors are yeah. faster at moving their bodies are faster than the Cavs can pass the ball. Well, and they and have I, and, clearly watched hours and hours of <clears> film <throat> of how the ball moves uh, when the when the ball goes into the post for the Cavs, and they are anticipating every pass before it happens. And they know the scouting reports. They sag off guys like Delhi and Shumpert. Well, you said you, they knew where the ball was going. I'm adding to what you said. <laughs> <That's just messy. laughs> to say that they're also playing not only to the what are they what action are they going to try to run but if they if they have that brief moment where not everyone is covered they will leave the correct man with a little bit of daylight and um so I watched that game on Martin Luther King Day I've watched these first two games the Cavs are, are hate being physical they set terrible screens they don't fight through screens well and leave everything else out of this. Leave out the, the prolific three-point shooting. Leave out the athleticism. Leave out the length. That's all in the, in the, in the advantage of the Warriors. I agree. Right. But and, and I'll add a, to what you just said. Of The other thing the Cavs do not do is give themselves up for the play. So LeBron, on that pick and roll, needs to cut hard through the lane to create that space that you were talking about that the Warriors create. And he's not doing that. He's just kind right. of rotating into right. that mismatch. Is, you're right. And he is letting, not. giving the D the easy way out. And Kyrie is terrible about that. He runs yes. his cuts. And if his if he's not getting the ball, he he doesn't run with a purpose when he runs, you know, off those screens. All the other Cavs, all the Cavs are doing that right now. And they're right. not. And that is why it is so easy for the Warriors to defend the first and second options on any play because, you know, no one is saying, I'm going to run hard and force two guys to cover me so that the guy yeah. setting the screen for me has a wide open layup. Right. Well, Sorry, the, sad thing, the sad thing is, is that the, 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 the only other guy that seems to be doing that in this series is Richard Jefferson. And if a 36-year-old... 38-year-old Richard Jefferson is your second best player in terms of doing that in a game, you're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. No, you're not. So it's kind of like I, I've made a lot of football analogies in this series. I've talked about if you're getting dominated at the line of scrimmage both ways, what chance do you have? Um, if every time you hike the ball, your defensive line gets shoved back four yards, I mean, you're just not going to win. Um, and you can also think – you could also think about it. Well, yeah. You could also think about it like if none of your receivers can get opened, you have no passing game, yeah. right? So if if the if the defenders are 
hitting you before five yards and there and then you, you just you just cannot shake free. You're just not gonna have a passing game. The Cavs, none of these guys can shake free. Other than LeBron, if any other guy other than LeBron receives a pass, it could be at the top of the key. It could be at the elbow. They have a Warriors defender so up in their grill, they're actually being pushed backwards. Yes. Like they have to actually they have to actually like pump their other foot like twice so that they don't lose their balance. They are completely in like at every moment of every possession. It's like junior high kids playing against a varsity team that just wants to embarrass the junior high kids. It's like you're smaller than us. We can reach around you and poke the ball away. Like we're going to swat you. You're literally going to have to put your butt into us, try to back us down, and then like hook a shot over your shoulder to have any chance of this possession not ending in a turnover. Like that is what this series is like right now. It, It is absolutely stunning. And I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a sense for is this just like a snowball effect or is this just like they are just not at all on the Warriors level. And the thing that stuck with me, because you guys talked about um, things that you've heard, like, you know, that have stuck with you was Zach Lowe's podcast with Brian Windhorst, where he said last year I talked to a bunch of Warriors execs and they said that they were actually disappointed that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love did not get to play. And their argument was because they could do whatever they wanted offensively against those guys. And that the grit squad lineup actually kind of mucked up the game and it made it difficult for them for a while, made life difficult. Um, So I was looking at that storyline coming into this series and I firmly expected the Warriors to light up the Cavs. What I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined was that the Cavs offense could get so thoroughly like you wrote it best Nate like have their face like shoved in it yeah well here's what I wrote about the Warriors because they get away with so much more contact in the post but they also start that from the beginning of the game and put the onus on the officials to call it and I wrote at the end of my podcast or my recap last night the Warriors are dirty cheating physically imposing smart bunch of cocky a-holes and (laughs) The Cavs are not, and the Warriors play to the limit of the rules on every single play, and the Cavs don't, and Tyron Lue is crap at working the officials, uh, but it's not even an officiating issue. The Cavs don't match that physicality, and the Cavs don't put the onus on the officials to make them adjust the game rather than... Um, you know, saying, "Oh, the the Warriors are going to be allowed to be more physical than we are," you know, right? Yeah. It, and that's why they're losing. And, and, Nate, and we that didn't, we didn't... is not an X's and O's issue. It's is not, why, and it's not. It is a talent issue in terms of that is a talent as a player, but that is something that there's no reason anyone on the Cavs from a physical and mental perspective should not be able to do, but they're not doing it. And I, I don't know that they have that in their makeup. And I'm going to just one up your hot take. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let this one fly. Cause I've been holding this in all season. This is what you said and last I, night after the recap was over. Yes. And you were really upset. We did not record it <laughs> for, th- for three years. 
I'm sorry, Cavs. Do we wait? Do we need a drum roll for this? Go ahead. <laughs> All right, I'm good. For three years, I've been watching the stagnation and regression of Kyrie Irving, the basketball player, even as I have witnessed the growth of Kyrie Irving, the offensive savant. Kyrie Irving is a dominating all-star game player. In fact, if you were going to play an all-star game, he's the first guy you should pick over anyone else that's ever played the game, over Magic Johnson even. <laughs> he is a he is a scrimmage player. He is a rec league player. Um, he is maybe the best offensive one-on-one guard I've ever, <laughs> that's ever played the game of basketball in the history of mankind. He's a phenomenal shooter. He's a 50-40-90 threat. On paper, he is absolutely brilliant. He is the dumbest and weakest basketball player that I have ever seen at this level that is considered by many to be an all-star caliber player. He is lazy. He hates any and all contact. He doesn't understand spacing. He has tunnel vision. He cannot run an offense whatsoever. And I think he doesn't read a scouting report on defense or on. No. Offense. And the most maddening thing about it is, and maybe this isn't really fair to him. It's that there exist two players that we see as Cavs fans almost on a nightly basis that really, if you if you sit and think about it, should drive you just batshit crazy about what Kyrie Irving cannot do. The first one is Matthew Dellavedova because he's the perfect foil to Kyrie Irving. He has like none of the offensive talent, but he understands basketball, right? And, and we've been through this. I don't need to rehash it. But it shows up in plus-minus data. It shows up in regularized plus-minus data, like over a season and a half's worth of data. It's not like some kind of state secret. Every analytics person that's not like a crazy Cavs fan agrees with this, right? Then you have a guy like Steph Curry. What does Steph Curry have from a physical standpoint that Kyrie Irving doesn't have? He's not bigger. He's not longer. He's not heavier. What does he have? Steph Curry commits when he cuts to the hole. He sheds his defenders when he cuts through the lane. He sets screens. He plays physical defense. He runs up and down the court and doesn't lose his man in transition. Why? I mean, what is it? He's not like Tony Allen. He's not this like beefed up maniac. He basically has the same frame as Kyrie Irving. He's four years older. I hope you're right because honestly, after watching Game Two, I just feel like I just feel like Kyrie Irving is a loser. I, I, I hate to be that I, guy. I, I, I think he's too. I think he's a loser, and I think he's an incredibly talented basketball player. But I just don't know if you can be patient enough to wait and hope that he can develop the basketball savvy to stop just sabotaging his team. Well, they don't don't have a choice. And I'll tell you why, because you can't as much as as much as there's been talk about trading Kyrie all season, really. And and now kind of back to the fever pitch of he's terrible. And and he has been. I mean, he's been god awful in in this series. Um, But you can't trade a talent like that. Uh, when the when the you know the price is down, you'd have to wait at least until the middle of next season and probably probably beyond. I mean, you got to hope that whatever if if this winds up being 
you know, a continued beatdown. You know, I mean, the, the chances of them winning are, are slim now. The chances of them, of them being swept are much greater than the chances of them winning the series. So you got to hope that that experience, that, you know, that bitter disappointment, that you got to hope he grows up. You got to hope that the next, that sometime in the next couple, you know, year, two years that he takes this experience and does learn from it. Because if he doesn't, then you're going to be right, Tom. He will be a loser and he'll just be a really talented you know, one of those really talented guards that could never really win anything because he just didn't have a complete game. He was not a two-way player. Yeah, and and along with that, uh, I mean, there are a couple differences. Steph Curry played 104 games in college and lost every single year in the NCAA tournament. Uh, with with, and he was he was fantastic at in those tournaments. Um, he also got his butt handed to him in the playoffs uh, a few times, and and I feel like Kyrie hasn't lost on a big stage enough to kind of internalize all that and realize what he needs to do to improve as a player. And I know that uh, we had some people on the blog writing about that today, and it, it it's really... I, I believe that's really true. I mean, the other thing just, about, and I don't think he believes he's a bad player. I don't think. Well, no, that's the problem too. Yeah. That's part of the problem, and that's and that's the, the other thing I'll say that's different uh, goes off the court too. Um, Steph Curry, you know, I mean, Steph Curry's the son of a son of a basketball player. He and is, I know, but it, but right. he's son of a basketball player. His mother and his mother ran track and. And he never played AAU ball, right? He wasn't recruited, and he didn't. All the big schools passed him over. So Steph Curry's been an underdog his whole life. Whereas Kyrie Irving got accepted to Duke, played what twelve games, got got injured, and then and then declared for the draft. As you said, Steph Curry played what? Did he play what three years, four years? Three years in the yeah. So so that's the difference. But off the court. You know, again, this is a this thing is a project of age too. Is that Steph? You know, say what you want about him, but he's he's a family man. He's you know he seems like a guy that pretty much eats, sleeps, and and you know and dreams basketball. Kyrie Irving's not that guy. Kyrie Irving has a social life. Kyrie Irving goes out after games sometimes to the wee hours, and I know this because of I've talk to people that have been with him when they were out in the wee hours before the night before a game uh, in, you know, in a, reg- a regular season, probably not playoffs, but you know, I, it's I'm not different... convinced that's not happening in the playoffs too. Maybe. I mean, you know, look that Toronto, that certainly game three in Toronto certainly seemed like there was something going on there. But again, I'm not speculating, I speculate on a guy's, on a guy's personal life, but the truth is he's not, that guy yet he's not the guy that's committed off the court as well as on the court to being the best he can be well i i just i mean you guys are getting into you know bigger things i mean i I, i'm focusing on something that's simple i mean i I just i just want to i just fact let's put it that right I, i i guess i'm just looking at more like um steph curry is the two time now mvp um, he's the most popular player in the world. 
he doesn't even really need to play in this series for the Warriors to win. And that dude will take a guy that weighs 80 pounds more than him and will shove him before he runs as fast as he can to be like a decoy through the paint so that someone else on that team can score. Kyrie Irving will will try to dribble for like, you know, 10 seconds, throw up a shot with one leg in the air. He'll miss. He'll land. He'll sag his head. He'll put his one hand up in the air, signifying to his team, please pick up my man. Please pick up my man in transition. And then there's a there's a play from game one where he doesn't even make it back into the frame and it didn't end up being a transition basket because the other four Cavs actually recovered and the Warriors had to make like five or six passes before the play eventually possession eventually ended. And Kyrie Irving never even got back into the into the screen. And I'm just I've always I've never understood this about him. He's still a young player. He's never won anything. And his uh, I don't know I don't want to speculate on his MVP of the All Star game, Tom. Exactly. He's he's never won anything real. And his on his I don't want to talk about his off court stuff. His on court demeanor, like what I see when I watch the games, is I, I don't know if he's scared or it's a player that plays like he doesn't have to play hard because everything's been handed to him. Think about it. He he went he went to Duke. He got to be the first pick in the draft, even though he, he played, played what, games. 12 to 11 games. He, he was the first pick in the draft. He went to a team that needed a hero because theirs had walked, had left and gone to Miami. So it was his team. He didn't have to do anything. I mean, even the, you know, he won he all coached, of those battles. And he, he got, got yeah, coached he, for, what, two years by yeah, an abysmal and, head coach in uh, – Byron Scott, who just let yeah. him develop ridiculously bad habits. How about this? After after the bad season that he had, Byron Scott coached got, Chris Paul. He didn't he, develop ridiculously bad habits. But after the let me finish. After the bad season that he had, where everybody talked about, well, should they trade him? And then we were all mad at Windhorse for suggesting that he wasn't going to sign. They they handed him a max deal. But within five minutes of, of the deadline, Max Deal, here you go, Kyrie, it's your yeah. team, you run it. And then he got the best player in the world to come back to his team and essentially say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, you're, you're going to, you're also, you're still going to be like helping me run this team. You're going to be the guy. So Kyrie's had everything handed to him his entire career. And he's still a kid. He's 24. I mean, what, I mean. I think we're expecting – I mean, look, I know we are all expecting him to change his stripes and be this guy and not be a turnstile, and he's made strides. He's had, he's had his ups and downs, and he's had some amazing games, and he's had injury to deal with. And I think that was his first real stretch of adversity, you know, I mean, because some of the other injuries were more fluky. And, and granted, the, the kneecap thing was fluky too, but he had lower, he had lower extremity problems all throughout – last last year's playoffs and, and that was and difficult. throughout his career i mean since duke yeah so. but having having gone through all that he still hasn't gone through the bitter disappointment of wanting something so bad and losing it so right. on some level i think you, and, have to, and, you have to say hey you, you, you we have to see how it plays out we have to see how 
whatever, look, maybe there's, maybe there's a, you know, maybe we're all way too down and they, maybe they win the next two games at home and it's a three best of three to, to figure out who's going to win the championship. And it's a dogfight from there. Maybe that, and that'd be great. But if it's not that, if it winds up being, you know, warriors in four or five or six, then, you know, it's going to be a bitter defeat for Kyrie. And it's going to be what really up to him, what he does this summer, what he does, you know, with LeBron, what he does coming back from that. Does he come back with a chip on his shoulders? Does he come back with a vengeance? Does he come back with rage in his heart? You know, they, this team paid a lot of lip service to, you know, having rage and wanting that title. And the truth is, you know, you could, you could understand why LeBron was – you know, had the rage and the fuel because of the way that they, you know, that they lost with everybody injured. But, you know, the guys that were injured, it was bitter because they were sitting out, but they didn't go through the actual losing it up on the court, you know. So we'll see. I mean, I think there's every opportunity for Kyrie to turn everything around and change the narrative on what kind of player people remember him as in the future. But, but, um, but that's, that's up to him. Yeah, and, yeah. I uh, just real quick. Uh, so Joey B wrote a really good uh, comment today on last night's recap. That was a an echo of what he wrote after Blatt was fired, and basically said exactly what you just said, e.g. And a lot of it was that lo- part of the problem with Love and Kyrie being hurt last year is it gave them a built-in excuse. And they weren't able to kind of experience that gut-wrenching disappointment and failure. And and that that was a bigger problem with the injury than the actual injury itself. You know, they didn't fail while they were trying the hardest. So, I, and I believe that's true. And I uh, until, I, I think Kyrie needs to get embarrassed and be called out by the national media before he'll ever improve. Because he clearly cares what the media thinks, and I don't think he—I don't think in his head right now he thinks he's the problem, and that's the problem. You know, it, we heard it earlier this year when they were talking about the ball moving, and you know, need more ball movement, you need, uh, you know, the pick and roll and all that stuff. And Kyrie was kind of like, "Ma'am, I'm not really sure if that's the best for my game," and that tells you all you need to know he's more concerned about his quote-unquote game than the team's success so well it's just it's just so obvious you watch these two teams playing right now and the the warriors have such perfect execution on all the details and all these guys the splash brothers draymond green you know andre Iguodala, who was a former kind of um you know uh Superman of his own team. I mean, he was the number one option. He was the alpha dog. Um, guy like Andrew Bogut, who was, a, I believe, he was a defensive player of the year. I mean, number they have one, guys that have pick of the draft. They should have guys that have such huge egos, and they completely give them. I like how you said give themselves up. Steph Curry is good enough that he could maybe still be the NBA's MVP if he didn't try like mad on defense and set menacing screens somehow, even though he weighs like 180 pounds. But he does that. You know what I mean? It, it just it just really 
it, it's 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 a struggle to watch the Cavs get their face shoved in it right now because I just feel like you know you, we talk about X's and O's, we talk about lineup changes, we talk about, and at the end of the day, I mean, honestly, it's like they can't create space for themselves on offense. They are not fast enough. They are not strong enough. Uh, they don't, and they can't overcompensate for the individual matchups where they all seem to be at a disadvantage with like a team centric ball movement approach because they haven't really been good at that ever. Yeah. Well, doesn't it always, I mean, doesn't it always come down to trust though? I mean, it's a trust factor that these guys of the golden state have played together. They've played in a system. They've, they, they know what, you know, what, what, Kerr has has instilled in them. Even when Kerr was out, they had Luke yeah. Walton, who's going to be a head coach next year in his own right. So, yep. you know, they they have a just a genuine faith in each other that you know, and it translates oftentimes cockiness or you know, and they don't help that image with the pr- constant preening on the court. But right. but they do. They these guys, and you could tell. I mean, just watching them in the press conferences, watching them on the sidelines, like. They 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 trust each other. They 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 know that everybody to a man on that roster is capable, and and they know that you know when the chips are down, when they need a shot, they'll you know guys will take shots. I mean they 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 yes. to really trust each other. Whereas I think the Cavs have had moments where they have, and I think they've had they they had really good you know early early playoff series where they did, and even you know coming back after dropping the two to Toronto, like they they played games you know five and six really well they they had those moments where you look looked at the team and said wow these guys are really clicking they really seem to be trusting each other but you know again it's all about how you handle adversity and i I just i don't think they've played together long enough or reached that level of comfort with each other that when things are going wrong and things are starting to snowball they have a way out they have a way to you know, it's just, hey, let's throw the ball to LeBron and see if he can help, see if he can take over. And that's just not, that's the, that's the Mike Brown option. That's the, you know, the, uh, you know, all right, LeBron dribbling with four guys standing around, not really, not knowing that he doesn't, they, they don't have faith in themselves because nobody else really has faith in them. So, you and, know, and that, that's what happened. And let's crystal clear that kind of offense and that kind of thinking has never <laughs> won a championship the lebron didn't win a championship until he became a part of a team in miami that didn't just throw to lebron the ball to lebron they had a game plan they executed it and he was one of he was a part of a team and not the quote-unquote guy they just all relied on yet dwayne wade you know kicking and screaming threw the ball to LeBron, but he was just as much of a competitor as LeBron was, and and the only reason he sublimated his game was for the betterment of the team and so that they could ultimately win a championship. And and I haven't so, seen that from the other Cap stars. <clears throat> There's another sort of angle to all this, and that is that the Warriors aren't a typical team. They're a black swan event. And and I say that because even in light of of the meltdown that I've that we've now seen from the Cavs in games one and game two, I completely agree 
that they would have defeated any other team in the finals with the exception of maybe San Antonio. I really don't think they would have lost to the Thunder, despite how well the Thunder have been playing. I just think the Cavs would have beat. I think they were a better matchup. I think LeBron has always owned. The Cavs would have lost to the Thunder. I do not. I think they would. I think if the Thunder would have would have somehow defeated the Warriors in that Game Six, that the Cavs should have. The Cavs would be up, you know, two zero right now, and that they would they would win the championship. So the the problem becomes because we're talking about like, is this team got what it takes? And Coles, of all people, brought up what you said, E.G., in the comments, basically that, look, let's give the Warriors some credit. And it took them time to develop this, like, hive mind. Um, The Cavs are a good team. You know, he makes all these excuses for why they're losing. But he has a point, and you brought it up as well. Maybe they just haven't had enough time to build up this trust to figure out the way they need to play to be that good. So the question becomes, are the Warriors going anywhere? Or no. are we going to be seeing no, the same thing? No, in fact, in fact, what my comment back to Coles was, and, and I, I agreed with everything he said. The problem <laughs> that I have is that, you know, because he said, well, you know, because it was the reaction to people saying, well, they should blow up the team or trade one of the stars and this and that. And it, it was sort of a railing against that. And the truth is, yeah, of course, if LeBron was three years younger, you wouldn't be talking that way. You'd say, all right, we'll get them next year. Like, we'll continue to tinker and build, and, you know, they can't stay this strong forever, you know, this and that, whatever. Right. The problem is that's not the case. Like, you know, yeah, they didn't – the Warriors didn't blow up their team. They they had a shot to trade Clay, Clay, Clay Thompson, Thompson. For, for Kevin Love, and they, they resisted it. They let the Cavs make that trade and probably think they, they made the right – choice and they did because they've won a championship and they're up 2-0 on their way to a second potentially and they they didn't the only thing they did was they 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 did what the Cavs did this year which is swap out a really good winning coach for you know in Mark Jackson who won what 51 games that last year he coached there but had you know issues with with management and ultimately hired Steve Kerr who then went on to win a championship in his first year so that's the so in a sense yes they've they've kind of kept it together where the Cavs you know decided to pull the trigger on you know on the the Wiggins for love trade you know and we'll, we'll, we'll wait. it'll obviously would take years to go look back on that and see how it ultimately worked out but the truth is yeah you don't you don't don't blow up a team like this except for the fact that LeBron's window now that he's thirty one is just another year more closed so how well, much and, and how much elite level lebron you have left to try to surround him with guys that have a legit shot to win a championship especially when the warriors have the cap space and the money that if yeah, kevin no, durant, if kevin durant has, has yeah i'll let you say if kevin durant has them as them on the top of his list guess what they're not going anywhere Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.